right, now it's time for the word, right? Yeah. I'm glad you're still excited. Uh, but today, uh, it really marks a significant um, moment in the life of our church. Uh, uh, God actually gave me the framework for uh, this sermon before we had our uh, retreat. And it was really anticipation of what we would accomplish. And I wanted to use this sermon as really a capstone of our previous series and simultaneously as the launch pad uh, for the next season of our church life. Now, over the past uh, few weeks, uh, we've been, you know, seeking you know, God's um, wisdom for the future, but specifically the next 14 months, the next 14 months, you know. It's important to understand um, that this isn't just uh, the start of a new journey for us, but we are being commissioned by God himself. Um, this divine commission is part of the heart of our identity as a church, and I'd like to explore uh, this teaching further by focusing on Galatians 2 verses 1 to 10. Um, it's a passage that resonates with me uh, deeply for this season. Uh, my title for today is Commissioned for Transformation. Can we say that together? Commission for Transformation. Now let me explain a little bit more about this title itself. Uh, commissioned for transformation means that we are collectively called and empowered by a divine mission to bring about meaningful and positive change. Uh, it's important for us to understand that God is calling us, and he's also the one that's shaping that mission. It also signifies that the individuals, all of us within um, this church community, are not passive observers but we're actively entrusted with a divine mission. Now, this divine mission is not about the status quo, but it's centered around the profound idea of effecting positive change and transformation. Uh, being commissioned implies a deliberate assignment or task that's given to us. In this case, um, it's a task that we have from God um, and this divine authority. It's like being selected for a purpose, a purpose that's beyond ourselves, which is what we're trying to do. We're seeing something um, beyond ourselves, beyond our ambitions. Now, this critical part of our commission is the transformation. Um, we, it's not aimlessly. We want to see lives being transformed. It means that um, it's not about our religious routines or rituals, but making a real impact in the lives of the people and our broader community. Now, this transformation can take forms in, and I could say take shape in many forms, whether it's uh, spiritual awakening or revival. You guys want to see revival, right? Oh, three people, you're like, yes. But also personal growth, uh, community development, or even social justice initiatives. Now, this idea uplifts and improves the lives of individuals we encounter. Now, so commission for transformation is this rallying cry reminding the church that we are not passive participants in our faith, but active carriers of positive change. Are we active carriers? So nobody's active carriers, okay. Now, Galatians 2, verses 1 to 10, it holds a 
reflective message. It's not just this historical account um, in this passage, but the Apostle Paul, he's reflecting on his journey to Jerusalem, where he met with early church leaders, including James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, James is considered to be the head of the church in Jerusalem. Now, Paul's visit um, is pivotal because it addressed this relationship between uh, Jewish and Gentile believers in the early Christian church. Um, so there wasn't this defined uh, relationship between the two. So it's nothing worse than having lack of clarity or even a solid plan in any given situation. Um, we talk about sharing the gospel with the people that we encounter. But what do we do when they actually get saved? There has to be a plan, right? No, right? No. You guys not going to talk to me today? Oh, no, okay. <laughs> but consciously or subconsciously, we believe that God has the power to save anyone. But we have to think about what happens when God saves the unlikely or when he saves them in a way that contradicts the norm. Um, this past Thursday, and I alluded to it earlier, that we were afforded the opportunity to be a part of, uh, to co-sponsor the God's Not Dead event. How many of you guys went this, this past Thursday? Okay. And you guys know that I love numbers, so not just the book of numbers, but numbers in general. And 478 people attended the event. 120 responded to the survey or this QR code that was there. But most importantly, 22 people decided to follow Jesus. See, there had to be a plan to connect with people who would make a decision in an event like this. But it's so interesting how people were able to get saved in an event that didn't have the tradition. There was no worship going, no songs being sung. There's no you know, traditional service like this. It was a pastor, a scientist, and conversations. And yet people get saved. See, this is what the essence of Paul's journey. Paul's going to Jerusalem because something is happening outside the norm. What are you doing when people get saved? So there was a plan. So what we did yesterday is that we responded to all those people who made a decision to follow Jesus. And so because we're trying to make sure that there's a place for them to serve God because there wasn't a church service. So Paul, he's reflecting on how he got saved on the road to Damascus encountered Jesus with this, and with this changed um, lifestyle from being the persecutor of Christians to a passionate advocate for the Christian faith. So Paul's um, ministry became characterized by his mission to spread the message of Jesus Christ, believing that the gospel was universal and it wasn't limited to a specific cultural or ethnic group such as the Jews. He was teaching that Gentiles did not need to convert to Judaism once they became followers of Christ. So what do you do when someone is unchurched and they get saved? Do we tell them that they didn't get saved in our traditional lens, so start all over? 
this is what Paul was dealing with. He's saying, what do you do when, when, when the Gentiles get saved? They're not Jews. Do you now say they need to be circumcised? What do you do when people get saved in an event like that? God's not dead. And then he said, well, actually, we didn't have a large group. And we didn't have a Sunday service. So he actually didn't get saved in the right setting. Let's try it again. This is the reason for Paul's visit to Jerusalem. So do you impose your tradition, or do you accept that God is not limited to a specific culture or our rooted tradition? So Paul's visit is this turning point because it brought, about, brought him to, in contact with the apostles, um, Peter, James, and John, who were um, prominent figures in the early church. Now, during this visit, they discussed the inclusion of Gentiles, these non-Jews who became Christian, and the universality of the gospel message, this revelation of the gospel's universality, regardless of cultural or ethnic background, was transformative for the early church. Now, contextualization was important because what was happening is that as Paul was teaching, people weren't getting saved the same way they got saved in Jerusalem. Not everyone you know, comes to Jesus the, you know, in the same way it was before. So Paul's teaching that Gentiles didn't need to convert to Judaism was a fundamental shift in understanding Christianity's inclusivity. Now, when you make changes to honor any cultural context, um, it can feel like a fundamental shift. Remember in Joshua 3 and verse 4, the Israelites, they were crossing into the promised land that God had given them. But God said, I want you to follow me because I'm taking you to a place that you've never been before. As a church, we're following Jesus faithfully, and there will be moments in our church life when he'll do things that we've never experienced before. But we must trust that the path he's taking us on aligns with his mission. And so we're sharing God's message of hope, and it's intended for everyone to receive. Now we're going to look at this text in Galatians 2 and verse 10, and our primary focus is understanding Galatians 2 verses 1 to 10, and its relevance to our identity as a church who is commissioned for transformation in Berkeley. Amen? You guys feel like reading today? Okay. Can we stand and read Galatians 2, verses 1 to 10? Did someone just sigh at me? Good to see Miss Arlene with us. All right, let's read together. One, two, three. And after the 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them by gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus who was me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, 
that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter, the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me in Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember to pour the very thing. Father, I pray that as we continue with your word, that you bring clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. But now that we've read our text, uh, there are three main things for us to consider. Number one, God entrusts individuals within a church to play a role in his plan for salvation on earth. In other words, God uses us. And in Galatians 2, verses 1 to 10, the Apostle Paul's journey to Jerusalem, it carries profound implications for our understanding of divine calling. Uh, Paul says in, in, in verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. Now, the number 14 years that Paul mentions is not an accidental reference. It, it is a powerful reminder that fulfilling our purpose takes time, preparation, and growth. I mean, think about your personal lives. Um, sometimes we have dreams and aspirations, but we can't escape navigating life's challenges. Our, fu you know, our future as a local and global church is intricately woven into God's perfect timing. And as we contemplate Paul's journey to Jerusalem, I want you to imagine with me um, any creative thinkers here. I see some smiles. I'm like, maybe on the fence. Are we, are we able to think or imagine things and images? Yes? Okay. But think for a moment, this journey, Paul, going to Jerusalem. It's dusty. Um, maybe there's some part of, you know, in Arizona or you know, it's very hot. Maybe it's one of those days, it's 140 degrees. But they're walking this long walk. You know, they're not walking like 10 miles. They're walking miles and miles. Traveling for a few days, limited food, limited water. But they're traveling this for the sake of the gospel. The weight of this journey wasn't in its distance, but in the purpose it carried. Think about that for a moment. These men weren't just travelers, but ambassadors of Christ, believing that they were entrusted with the gospel message of redemption. How far are you willing to travel for the sake of the gospel? How far are you willing to travel in making yourself uncomfortable 
for the sake of the gospel. It's important to understand that as we move forward as a church and even as believers, our mission is not about the routine goals. It's about recognizing that we are ambassadors of Christ, carrying the message of grace, love, and salvation. You know, Paul's mission was not to tour Jerusalem. He wasn't there to do some sightseeing. No, but he had this divine commission in action. Um, this mirrors our, our you know, church's mission, reminding us that our current responsibility in Berkeley is extraordinary. No, it's not about living in an intellectual college town. No, it's about having a mission to promote spiritual growth, embrace cultural diversity, and serve our community through unwavering compassion. Can we say unwavering compassion? Unwavering compassion. So we too are ambassadors of Christ, carrying a message, transcending time and place, yet we must know that the journey can be messy and challenging. But yet in the chaos, in our confusion, in the midst of our doubt, there is beauty in the struggle. Think about the irony of our contradiction. People are flawed. We're all flawed. And sometimes we're often emotional. I'm sure there are some people who are more emotional than others. No, I don't often cry like others do. My wife's like, don't often cry. You never cry. But half of the New Testament that guides our faith was written by a flawed man who once persecuted the church. And yet we often struggle with offering forgiveness and even struggling with forgiving ourselves of our past mistakes. The messiness of the journey does not reduce your significance to the mission. It adds depth to your experiences. So in the refining process, we hear it over and over, precious metals are purified through fire. Likewise, our trials and challenges, it shaped us to, into becoming stronger, more resilient individuals. So as the core of his mission, of Paul's mission, Paul was driven by a vision to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. This vision wasn't in the, from human ambition, but was a direct outpouring of God's divine commission. That's what he said in our text. So I didn't receive this from man, but God gave this to me. Likewise, our retreat that we had over the few past couple of days was you know, a course that God has given that's rooted in his divine calling. We weren't just gathering as leaders. We were gathering as visionaries. We were carrying you know, dreams and aspirations for our church. We examine the depths of our identity and this divine commission that defines us, seeking clarity and direction for the journey ahead. This process mirrors Paul's pursuit of alignment with the gospel message. He sought guidance of the early church leaders in Jerusalem. Just as Paul's mission had a vision, so too our life, our church, should have a mission and a vision. Anyone of you guys have, like, your life, mission, and vision? No? Yeah. And, and you're guided by someone like, nope, I just go with the flow. I get up, and if I'm alive, I just go with it. 
But it's important to you know, have dreams, aspirations, things that we pray into, and then we allow you know, God to direct our path. And if it's God's will, he's got it. If it's not, he'll change it. There's one thing we have to know. God has no problem changing the course of our lives. You know, you know, thinking about going to another school, you're here. Thinking about you know, doing something else, and you find yourself here. God knows how to do it. So as the body of Christ, we are entrusted with the vision of change, revival, and renewal for the years ahead. Paul's mission extended beyond his comfort zone. He was reaching out to the Gentiles. It challenges us to reflect on how we envision the gospel transforming the lives of the people beyond our immediate circles. We are commissioned to carry a message that transforms lives. But we must first see it. We have to see it before we see it. You guys get what that means? <laughs> In other words, we must believe that through faith, Jesus can change the lives of the people that we encounter. So faith allows us to see the completion before it even happens. You know, the brother you're praying for, the sister you're praying for, the school you desire to go to, you have to see it by faith. If you can't see it, you might not have the motivation. I mean, how many people say, I'm going to go for this job interview, but I don't think I'm going to get it anyway. Just going. Well, maybe you do, but I, I mean, I've, I've done it before. I apply for jobs that I'm not qualified for. But if you call me for an interview, uh, I believe I'm going to get it. You have to see it. But we also see that the gospel of Jesus Christ remains unaffected by human recognition or reputation. Galatians 2, 6-9 underscores this unity. It says, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added, nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when Cephas, and, and when James rather, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul's point here is, is, is profound. He recognizes the gospel isn't influenced by human recognition. It's not a message by cultural norms or societal expectations. Instead, it's a message that transcends human boundaries and opinions. He was unwavering in, you know, in preserving you know, this gospel message, ensuring that it remained free from external influences. He's saying, it's not about me or what I think. It's about what God is doing through me. As believers, we must be rooted in the unchanging gospel, a message independent of worldly approval and trends. And we were talking about, you know, yesterday, but all these new words that's out there, I'm like, it feels like every month there's a new term that I just am not privy to. You know? and it's almost like I need a monthly dictionary. Like, what does that word mean? Like, I'm still stuck with LOL. You know? it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, when I mentioned LOL, someone laughed. I'm like, people still use those things, huh? 
the leaders in Jerusalem, those who seemed influential, they did not you know, alter the essence of the gospel message. Instead, they affirmed the message and recognized that God was using Paul in his endeavor. Paul maintained the unity of the gospel message, ensuring it was preserved in its purest form. You know, it wasn't just a set of personal ambition. It's a shared dream, a vision rooted in the unchanging gospel. It's a vision we as a church stand united in preserving, ensuring it remains untamed by worldly influences. Our unity is not merely this theological concept. It's a practical commitment to preserving the purity of God's vision. Amen? Our identity must be inseparable from the unified vision of grace, hope, and transformation. And as we reflected as leaders this past weekend, we reemphasized that we are a church with a shared dream, a shared commitment to becoming a transformative resource in our city. Just look at someone across from you, maybe behind you. Make eye contact with someone. Go ahead. Make eye contact with someone. Not me. Just look at, look at someone. Just, just keep looking for a moment. And they're, yeah, make them a little bit uncomfortable. And then say to them, I am a resource in this city. Do you guys believe you're a resource in this city? You're like, I don't, I don't have anything to offer. Even if you don't know your purpose, God has gifted you with something to enhance the lives of those around you. But you must be willing to go the extra mile to make yourself available as a resource. See, our unity as the body of believers is not just a matter of doctrinal agreement. It's a reflection of our shared commission. And as we maintain the unity of the gospel, we strengthen our resolve to fulfill our divine calling. It's a unity that binds us together, a unity that reflects the gospel message, a unity that empowers us to make a lasting impact on our city. In a world that's often characterized by division and strife, we are called to be a community that stands as a beacon of unity reflecting the love and grace of Christ. Our vision is to unite in our mission to work together to reach out to our city as one body united by the gospel message. Amen? When we maintain this unity of the gospel, we become a testimony to its transformative power. The power in a world that's hungry, for hope and unity. Think about your lives. Think of how it's been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. This is what people want to see. So when they're searching for something greater than themselves, they turn around and they see you. You just said it. You are a resource. Carriers of hope. A resource of love. Maybe you are a resource of a hug that someone might need when they're sad. This is what we carry. We often think that when we carry something greater than ourselves, it's all about finances or just, let's just share the gospel, let's go to this book. But what about your life? What about carrying yourself? Paul walked that journey saying, I'm carrying something because I don't know what's going on. It says that he had a revelation. 
Paul says, I got saved just walking on this Damascus road, and now I'm sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved in a way that's not in the traditional sense. So when you get saved in a way that's unconventional, God's going to provide people who are unconventional. And you're wondering, why am I you know, always reaching out to these people that's not the, the norm, the abnormal people? The ones that people will say, extra grace required, EGR. And you're like, why am I drawn to them? And then you remember how God saved you, how he brought you in an unconventional way. Because God uses us for his glory. We don't have to change into another way. God uses us. God used Paul in that same way. And Paul is saying, I don't understand. One thing I know is when I share the gospel, people are getting saved. So let me just go to Jerusalem to get some clarity on this and what happened. They said, we're just going to let you go and just do what you're doing. We are commissioned to serve the marginalized and to transform our city through acts of love and compassion. The gospel of Jesus Christ is rooted in the spiritual, but also the practical. Um, Galatians 2 and verse 10 captures the heart of our commission. It says, They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. It's like someone, you know, give you a promotion. So I'm just going to give you extra, you know, promotion to just do what you've been doing. Sure. Paul is saying, I've been preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved, and they're saying, well, keep doing that. He's like, absolutely. That's what I want to do. This simple request is a profound reminder of our calling. In this verse, Paul refers to the request, remember the poor. This request didn't result from human opinion or social pressure, but was rooted in the care of the gospel message. It's a reminder that our commission in the city is also practical. We're also focused on meeting the needs of those around us. It's easy for us to be um, self-absorbed and miss the beauty of being a resource to offer something tangible. The words, the very thing I was eager to do, resonate deeply with our mission. Paul's eagerness to serve people experiencing poverty reflects the heart of our commission. Serving those in need should not feel like a burdensome obligation, but a joyful opportunity to bring transformation. Imagine if we become eager to serve others, become eager to make a difference and bring hope to the marginalized. Commissioning is, one, is not just a one-time thing. It's a daily commitment. You are a resource. I am a resource. Every moment, every interaction, and every decision are opportunities to fulfill our divine call. We are commissioned to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be carriers of change. Uh, this daily commitment to serve uh, mirrors Paul's dedication to meeting the needs of the poor. He was willing to walk miles in a desert to confirm with the others and caring for the marginalized. And as we engage with this verse, let us feel the urgency of our commission. Let us uh, sense this eagerness that Paul reflected to serve to uplift and bring transformation. Our commission doesn't just have a vision, it has a heart. A heart that beats with compassion. A heart that is eager to bring change and a heart that is committed to transforming lives and communities. Everything we do should be heartfelt. 
shaking someone's hand is not just by chance. Have you ever, you know, shake someone's hand and you can tell they didn't want to really shake a hand? I know those quirky things, but it was like, like just, just keep your hands to yourself and I'll just be like, okay, just didn't want to shake it. But it's like, why bother? And they go like, you know, it's like, wasted energy, right? But everything we do, they should have the heart behind it. Now, I, I love our, our welcome team. You know, notice how we get people out there that actually smiles. And when you walk through, you know, that gate, and they're smiling. You know, some of you just need to be out there to walk, just stay at the table, just, just smile. I guarantee if we put you out the street, we get a lot of people walking through the door like, why are you smiling? Jesus, Jesus loves you. <laughs> we, we tried it with even Belle, you know. Uh, Belle is forever camera ready. <laughs> can you guys confirm that with me? <laughs> you can never catch Belle off guard. She's just like, always smiling, like, I know when she's going to help. She's like, can I help you? Like, Belle, how much coffee did you have? <laughs> but you can tell when, like, Belle, McKenna, and like, Evan, like, Evan, she was there today. And, it's, and every time, like, I go through the door, just turn around and just smile. Just turn around and just smile. Like, someone's there, smile. And that's what you want. This heartfelt. When we serve people, it should be heartfelt. When we see someone that says, you know, that we're walking by People's Park, wherever, and we're going to give them something, it should be heartfelt. That's what God wants from us. So when Paul was walking across the desert, he's saying, there is something on my heart, and I want to make sure that I wasn't doing this thing in vain. So when he got there and they said, hey, keep preaching to the Gentiles, he's like, thank you, I'm going to walk back. That's how we should, we should be. When we're sharing the gospel, when we're loving our neighbors, when we're, we're, we're giving them hope, it should be heartfelt. Um, in, in today's world that's marked by uncertainty, isolation, and social challenges, our commission is to remember the poor and serve the marginalized. And the gospel message that we carry isn't abstract. It compels us to reach out. We've been talking about next year, about all the things that God is going to be doing. We'll get a chance to share a little bit of it later on. But next week we'll share some of it as well. But as we get closer to the end, I have two follow-up questions for you to consider. We, at first we talk about using your resource. But here are the two questions I want you to think about. What resources do you have to offer this city? And maybe you're visiting from another city. What resource do you have to offer your city? Think about that. But also, who will benefit from that resource? If you are a kind person, who can benefit from your kindness? Who can benefit from your smile? Think about those two questions. The transformation that we seek doesn't happen overnight. It results from consistent, compassionate action. Our commission must stand as a beacon of hope. We're going to invite the worship team to come forward. And as we step into this next season for church and embrace our mission, 
let's do so with the awareness and eagerness that we are commissioned by God himself. Our commission isn't just a task. It's a privilege. It's a sacred calling that defines our identity as a church. And when we leave here today, let us carry this commission with us. Uh, a torch illuminating the path of transformation. We're not just a church. We're commissioned with a vision to reach further, touch lives more profoundly, and become a beacon of hope. May our identity as Christians, may our identity as a church commissioned for transformation shine brightly in our community, impacting every life that we touch. And as we reflect on the journey of the early church and even the Apostle Paul, we find inspiration and guidance for our mission. Our mission should be to be a light, a source of light and compassion. And so I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray for us, then I invite you to partake in communion as you will. Lord, we are just thankful for your word. We're thankful that the Apostle Paul felt compelled to uh, share the gospel to the Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. You used him to reach people like us, uh, people who would have um, seemed to be unworthy. And as you used him, God, and you used all the apostles, your message spread throughout. And so, God, here we are, um, just receiving your grace and your love and your mercy. We have an opportunity to serve you. So I pray, God, for uh, the one that's here that doesn't have this relationship with you. I pray this be a moment that they can ask for forgiveness, that you will forgive them of their sins and they can receive in their heart today. But I also pray, God, for all of us here that, are, uh, that made a decision that you will help us to continue to live a life that's you know, pleasing unto you. Help us to realize that we're all in this together. Some days we have our good moments and other days not so good moments. But I pray that we all just walk this journey, building each other up, serving you as best as we can. So I pray, God, as you move in and through our lives, and as you partake of this communion, God, we're remembering the finished work of the cross. Help us to never forget why you, you sent your Son, O oh God. Jesus Christ came died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now we have an opportunity to receive forgiveness, to serve you, but also to live with you in eternity. Move in and through our lives today, Jesus, and we pray.